0: The difference, I think, is that we didn't see the barriers. They didn't exist for us. There was no reason. You know, Julie's famous story of she went to, I think, Monmouth Park and she couldn't get in the stable gate. So she just went over the fence. Like, duh, that's how you get in. You know, if you're if one, you know, one door closes, you find another door.
1: Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans, by eventing fans.
2: Thank you, exhibitors. Everyone knows exhibitors for their color-enhancing shampoos, moisturizing conditioners, their excellent stain removers, all this without using harsh chemicals, Karen. So this week, we are highlighting all the products from exhibitors labs starting with the quick shampoo and conditioner
1: the quick shampoo and conditioner is a brand new breakthrough technology from exhibitors it's a shine intensifying solution for equine hair
2: and karen tell us about the quick silver shampoo
1: quick silver shampoo is the legendary formula that continues to intensify and whiten with unrivaled performance
2: nice And the Quick Black Shampoo, Karen.
1: Tell us about that. It naturally enhances dark tones within the mane, tail, and coat while providing deep cleaning to leave your horse soft, smooth,
2: and shiny. Everybody wants a shiny and smooth horse, Karen. Oh, yeah. And for everyone's chestnut horse, Karen, the Quick Color Shampoo.
1: Right, the Quick Color Optically alters the way light interacts with each hair shaft creating stunning coats on chestnuts sorrels bays and browns and
2: everyone should have quick sheen karen
1: yeah quick sheen adds a fantastic glow to your horse's coat mane and tail and helps repel dust and dirt during show performances
2: And every essential, Karen, the Quick Braid.
1: Right. The Quick Braid is your go-to finishing product for all types of styling or training for your horse's mane and tail. By providing total mane and tail control that offers the perfect grip for your fingers, neither slippery or sticky.
2: Fantastic. So, go to exhibitorslabs.com for more information about all these products. And you can find us at your local tech shop. Right, Karen? Right. Triple Crown Feed? Oh, yeah. Triple Crown, big fans of Triple Crown Feed. They have tons of of great products out there, Mm -hmm. premium stuff. Karen, what do you got to say over there?
1: So, Triple Crown has formulas that are tailored to your horse's unique needs and help support immunity and gut health. Find your local Triple Crown Feed dealer by going to triplecrownfree.com
2: triplecrownfeed.com. That's a little bit of a tongue twist. So triplecrownfeed.com. They have a great feed locator. They have yes. a great feed com- comparison tool on their website. I encourage everyone to get over there. Check out Triple Crown Feed's website. Check out the different products. Check out what makes them so special. And give them a shot, right, Karen? Oh, yeah. Support the people to support the show. Karen, people always say, oh, Fairfax in Favor. I love their tall boots with the cool tassels with the three different types of heel height and the stretch panels and all that stuff. But they are more than just the tall boot, right,
1: Karen? Yeah, they also have the Sheepskin Boudica, which is a shearling line ladies ankle boot.
2: Very cute boot.
1: Yeah, they have... It's an all-terrain boot that retains style and comfort, and it's a classic Chelsea boot style that will follow you from home to the fields.
2: Yeah, so it comes in six colors, and fear not, shipping from great britain Karen, to the u.s all orders 250 or more from fairfax and favor have free shipping to the states. free shipping Karen. free shipping to the states so to learn more go to fairfaxandfavor.com to learn more about the sheepskin boudica boot protect your horse this winter with the ice turtle blanket from turtleneck
1: It's their very best turnout with insulated belly flaps for added warmth and protection, and it has ring and clip front closure combined with double Velcro front flap.
2: Yeah, so for fitting instructions and temperature guidelines, as well as all the other information that you would ever want, go to turtleneck.biz. That's turtleneck.biz to get information on the Ice Turtle by Turtleneck.
1: The organizers of the 2022 $50,000 Grand Prix Eventing Festival at Bruce's Field, presented by Taylor Harrison Shore Services, are excited to welcome everyone back to an event like no other. This year's Aiken Eventing Showcase will be jam-packed with action, and you won't want to miss a second of it. The Tokyo Olympic team, Philip Dutton, Boyd Martin, and Doug Payne, top U.S. riders like Liz Halday Sharp, Buck Davidson, and Lauren Nicholson, along with a strong field of international riders that includes British Olympian and eventing legend William Fox Pitt, are all scheduled to compete. Come see all the greats in person March 4th and 5th. Or if you can't make the trip, tune into the live stream on Horse and Country TV. For more info and tickets, go to AikenHorsePark.org slash eventing. I'm Karen.
2: And I'm Rob. Karen, we got an A-list celebrity Yes, we do.
1: Exciting.
2: This this is probably one of our biggest guests we've ever had. She's done lots and lots of big-time interviews, and we've been practicing for over 200 of these interviews now, <laughs> yes, and uh, so hopefully she's not nervous to talk to the big-time now, Karen. <laughs> but uh, you might know her as the two-time winner of the Kentucky Oaks, and the only woman rider to have raced in all three Triple Crown races, Karen, yeah. as a jockey. Welcome to the show. Rosie Napravnik,
0: welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. I am excited to be on tonight.
2: This is super exciting. Yeah. We never kind of give any like of the highlights of people's careers, but I just I, I wanted to get those out there again for any of the young bucks out there who might not, you know.
1: Yeah, listen up. Listen up. <laughs> this girl knows what she's doing.
2: And I got to say one more thing, Rosie. I know this. I don't. Hopefully, this isn't embarrassing to you, Karen. Rosie's one. Over 70 million dollars at the truck. So and under 15 years, right, Rosie?
0: Under 10 years, but let me just put that in perspective. Okay. (laughs) Because this is one of those statistics that people are very confused on. Okay. So my mounts have accumulated over 70 million dollars a year and so most of that money goes not to me (laughs) to the owners of the horses but still
2: that's a lot of money i mean listening if you're in the eventing sport to win 70 million even your horse has to be uh yep about 800 years
0: (laughs) right right right. (laughs) well if you consider that i've ridden over ten thousand thoroughbreds wow. in those less than ten years. It uh, it was a busy time of my life. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Holy wow.
2: smokes! Well, there we go. Interview over.
1: <laughs> my, my
2: <laughs> so, anyone out there that says they ride a lot of thoroughbreds?
1: No, they don't. I think I think Rosie's <laughs>
2: our number one thoroughbred riding uh, guest of all I time. I think again. so. I think so. <laughs> by by a thousand percent. I,
0: I sort of hope
2: so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just, we do want to uh, thank you again for joining in us because this is very special for us. To it have is. On. We've been it practicing is. for years before we had the courage to ask you to be a guest. So here we go. <laughs> here we go. I'm very nervous. Karen. You're very um, nervous now
0: step. I'm blushing. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so, Hey, um,
2: just be, we always like to know, since we're not in the same room, we always like to just know, where are you coming to us from?
0: So I am talking to you from my home, my old Kentucky home. Uh, we, my husband and I bought a farm after I retired in Simpsonville, Kentucky, which is right between Lexington and Louisville. So we're about 45 minutes from the Kentucky horse park and 25 minutes from Churchill Downs. Oh, nice. Man.
2: That sounds like heaven.
0: (laughs) It I'm going to tell you it is when, uh, when we bought this farm, it it was kind of like a, on a whim. That's a little bit how my husband and I operate. (laughs) But um, when we saw the farm, it was one of those things where we're like, this is way too good to be true. Like we'll never get this. And it was a really uh, crazy time in our lives because I had retired and he had started training on his own. So we were trying to get a mortgage to buy our farm with no income, And no history uh, for the person who actually was making money. So it took us a really long time, like six months to like go through the process of buying this farm. And I was in disbelief all the while. And I still pinch myself every time I come through those iron gates. So it's definitely a dream come true to be living here in Kentucky um, on our own property and having our kids grow up here. Wow. Oh, that, that is
2: awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. How dare some banker? <laughs> <tell Rosie laughs> no. How dare they? I
0: mean. It was it was an ironic, like, oh my gosh, how are we gonna get this done? So luckily we had a fantastic real estate agent, uh, Martha Heminger, and uh here we are living our dream.
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Karen, let's get it. Let's her, go.
1: So Rosie, one thing we love to do is we love to hear the origin story of our guests on how they got their start in writing. So can you take us back and tell us your story?
0: Yeah. So, um, my mother, uh, was actually, or is, um, but she, she was a, an eventing coach uh, since I was born, she ran a, a very large boarding facility in Far Hills, New Jersey, which is right down the sh- sorry, not Far Hills, uh, in Bedminster, New Jersey, which is right down the street from the Far Hills steeplechase, and Gladstone, where the United States equestrian headquarters is located. So I uh, grew up uh, eventing and riding in Pony Club, and I actually had, uh, the most fantastic privilege of having pony camp, pony club camp at, uh, the USCT in Gladstone. So, um, really cool area to grow up in. Um, just so many opportunities there. And we were just, uh, my siblings and I, my sister's six years, my senior, and we were kind of just set free on our ponies and, ran wild and galloped across countryside and jumped everything in our way, that type of childhood. It was absolutely amazing. Um, <clears throat> and through Pony Club, uh, they had um pony races at the Far Hills Steeplechase, which my sister actually rode her first pony race when she was five. And there's a picture of my mother with her on her pony and she's pregnant with me. So by the time I was old enough to um, ride in the pony races, they had um they had ceased running their pony races at Far Hills, unfortunately, due to like liability issues. Um, so we uh we did a a team chase through Amwell Valley Pony Club. And that was really my first introduction to racing. My sister had started a little bit earlier than I did. So I had that, you know, I want to do everything that she does, older sister, um, syndrome. And, uh, my mother made me wait till I was seven to race. And I, uh, we competitively, we branched out, uh, for more racing opportunities, uh, through Maryland, Delaware, uh, Pennsylvania, Virginia, um, area, and we were quite competitive for quite a few years. Uh, my mother had students, uh, a range of students in between my sisters and my age, and at one point we had like a, we had a commercial band taking six ponies to, um, to the plains, uh, to um, the, uh, the race is called the Virginia Gold Cup, and it is at the oh god why am i blanking on the venue there's a big it's event there great Meadows. Meadow, thank you um yeah so we we i grew up pony racing at great meadows and um <clears throat> we were super competitive uh we won probably most of the we won a lot because my mother being the pony club instructor was you know really focused on conditioning and preparation and yada, yada, yada. So we trained, I mean, I was on a 12 hand Welsh pony. He was, he's done everything. He did, you know, short stirrup with my sister and then me, uh, pony club, pony club games, uh, polo cross (laughs) (laughs) eventing. I actually evented that pony who was 12 hands with pads and shoes. I evented him novice, uh, when I was 11 and I don't know, I don't know what my mother was thinking because when I got back into eventing and realized how big novice was, I was, I was beside myself, but somehow <laughs> we, um, uh, so anyhow, yeah, we were very competitive in the racing, the pony racing. And, um, I did my last event. Um, we, I ended up having a small me They run the division, small pony, medium pony, large pony. Um, I think one year I had, a pony in each division <laughs> and we were just super competitive. I was just absolutely just wanted to get on and go fast. And, um, I always joke that dressage was the reason that I became jockey because <laughs> I, I would just didn't have the patience for it, you know, and it was, it would be perfectly reasonable for me to have grown up to be an event rider, considering my mother was an eventing coach. Um, but anyway, I went the other way cause I just didn't have the discipline for dressage at that point. And, um, so I actually followed in my sister's footsteps. She, uh, ventured off into the steeplechase community. Um, and so then I would go, she graduated high school early to move into the area and I would go and, uh, stay with her wherever she was working for the summer. And, you know, I, my first galloping job was for Jonathan Shepard when I was 13. Um, and let's just say the rest of that is history. But, um, my last event, uh, of my youth, I, I did my first training level event on a pony and, um, that was it. And then I was just off to the races and focused on racing for about 15 years. Um, I rode my first professional race when I was 17, uh, quit high school, did not graduate high school, uh, got my GED and, I made a way more money than I should have when I was 18, (laughs) but um, luckily had some good influences um, to guide me in all of those areas and um, had some great success uh, largely due to the wonderful support that I had uh, through all those years. Um, my mentors being Holly Robinson, uh, who is still, uh, you know, a a very, very good friend. And my, one of my surrogate mothers (laughs) from when I moved out and went on my own, uh, the late Dickie small, who, uh, I rode my first race for, and he was actually my first and only galloping job at the racetrack. So, uh, lots of really good support. Uh, you know, my parents allowed me to move out when I was 16 and not graduate high school. So I could pursue my dream and, I'm very grateful for, um, all the people I had in my corner during that time and throughout my career. So, um, I don't know if that was super long-winded no. <laughs> no, that was or if very I answered your question.
2: No, no that, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was really we good. love yeah. pony club, big yeah. pony clubbers. Mm-hmm. Our kids actually did games at the, uh, oh, USC yeah, At the Gladstone, yeah. Yeah. So
1: And we almost ran out of gas there.
2: And we almost ran out of diesel there. Yeah, we had a lot of trouble finding fuel there. I don't know. <laughs> we almost flamed out on the Jersey Turnpike. But uh, yeah, and I can't believe you had that pony did all that stuff. That's really
0: cool. Yeah, that's really cool.
2: We love a good pony. He,
0: was, he was a fantastic, fantastic pony.
2: That is awesome. So can you, I, I'm always um, in, in research into kind of this interview. I was most shocked that you originally started racing under like uh, an alias kind of name because you were a female. And I'm, I get shocked by that because I'm, I don't know. I'm such a, like a equal kind of person. Like I couldn't believe that that was not that long ago that, that, that having a female in the sport was going to be tough. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, and why that was.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say I was on the same page with you. Um so like I said I grew up in pony club and eventing which was predominantly female at the lower levels of course. Um so you know and I also you know I had the influence of you know I had an older brother that was 2 years older and I was constantly trying to you know be able to be one of the guys and hang out with his friends and be able to play you know soccer like him and da 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 da. da. Um so I, I you know I had that camaraderie influence. Uh, you know, I had parents that would never have, you know, let me feel like I had any limitations because of my gender. Um, and, and I, I, I lived in a world where on horseback, it was predominantly female. Um, so when Dickie small is the one who, um, I rode my first race for, and we were literally like walking to we were at Pimlico, so the racing office is right there, and we were going like at the end of the morning for him to make the entry for the horse. And we're walking there, and uh, he's like, "Well, what name should we use?" And he's like, "We could. What about like Andy or yeah? I don't remember. You know, a couple other Amy, Aaron. You know." And uh, I'm like, "Well, Diggy, I." I don't care what you call me. I was like, but is there like not a rule that it might have to be my own name? (laughs) You know, like, can we just rename me? Like, are we allowed to do that? And he's like, oh yeah, you're right. I don't know if we can do that. (laughs) So, So he's like, well, how about just your, how about just your initials? And Dickie was known, um, he was known to ride female riders. So he was known to give opportunities to female riders. And he actually, there was another rider, um, uh, before me, uh, named MC Brock for the very same reason. Um, I, uh, I can't remember what the C for was for, but her first name is Mary. So, um, so he'd done that before. So I was like, oh, AR, that sounds so cool. Like not, that's (laughs) not, that does not sound cool. You know, like JR or whatever, but anyway, so we went with AR and, um, it was definitely I thought it was completely overkill. I'm like, what, like, isn't this pretty antiquated? You know, is this really necessary? Maybe Dickie's just doing this cause he's so traditional and, you know, he's super old school and uh, you know, he's probably gone through that with some of the females that he's written in the past years ago, but he's pr- I think this is overkill, you know? Well, I was completely wrong. Um, and it was instrumental in getting my career started because um, as I had success, uh, throughout that first year of my career, I mean, when trainers are entering a horse, you know, they, especially in Maryland, they're particularly can be attracted to apprentice riders. Um, so when you're looking for an apprentice, you know, everything's printed in the condition book, a list of jockeys. So you're listed as AR, so nobody knows that I'm a girl. Or you know, later on, after I'd had some success in um, in Maryland. Uh, you know, you'd have, <clears throat> excuse me, you'd have horses that ship down occasionally from New York or Fair Hill, um, you know, where you have Grand Motion and Jonathan Shepard and shipping in from other areas where, you know, they, when they're not based at that racetrack, they just start at the top of the jockey standings and work their way down, but they might skip over a female. Wow. So, <clears throat> so I was, you know, winning at a high percentage and I started getting, mounts from outside trainers. And then, you know, once you, you know, once you can establish an attractive win percentage, that's when people have a hard time ignoring you no matter who you are. So that was kind of how, um, you know, I, I came across a lot of success. Um, I also was, you know, one of the things I think that led to some of my success as a female was, um, I just kept my mouth shut, (laughs) you know, like, I did not see, I get the, I get the question all the time, you know, why are there not more successful female jockeys? Well, a lot of, you know, females in this society in general are programmed to feel like they might be limited, Um, you know, uh, not to go after a male dominated sport because it's going to be more difficult and you know, Society is basically working against a female. So I I sort of accredit um, my perspective of just being, you know, having influences that allowed me to be very authentic. And the difference is you've got some very tough women out there um, who are willing to stand up and knock down any barrier that they see in their way. The difference, I think, is for riders like myself, Julie Crone, um, Patty Barton, Donna Barton, Rosemary Holmeister. The difference I think is that we didn't see the barriers. They didn't exist for us. There was no reason. You know, Julie's famous story of she went to, I think, Monmouth Park and she couldn't get in the stable gate, so she just went over the fence. Like, duh, that's how you get in. You know what I mean? If you're if one, you know, one door closes, you find another door. And so, um, you know, that was kind of the perspective that I just rolled with. I didn't I did not see any reason. I didn't know why everybody made a big deal about it uh in interviews. Like I kept getting these questions about being a female and I'm like, who cares? <laughs> no, like I really am just out here doing my job. So um I had to learn um I had to learn, you know, what a significant factor that was. And it took me a while to really realize like, oh, wow, this is different. Men and women are very different. (laughs) And, um, you know, it's different being, being a female. So. Wow.
2: Hmm. Well, those are limiting beliefs and you didn't have them. And that, that's that, that, that's amazing. And that, that, that people can take that anywhere in any aspect of their life, you know, If you have a limiting belief in yourself, you you're you're the first wall keeping you from achieving your goals. So
0: yeah. So uh, I'll add to that. I because uh, my sister is a life coach, and so I'm very much into living authentically and not having limiting beliefs. Um, When I got back into eventing, my limiting belief was that I became a jockey because I couldn't do dressage. (laughs) So there it lies that limiting belief that I struggled with for a very long time for, you know, several years, once I got back into eventing and I had to really, you know, recognize that I was giving myself this limiting belief and get over it.
2: Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. And your sister is jazz, right? Yes. Okay. So that way everyone can look up jazz. Cause uh, we, we, we know of jazz. I don't know her personally, mm-hmm. but um, definitely have heard of her a lot. And, So we love a good life coach. Maybe one day we'll get jazz on too.
0: Oh, you'll have to get jazz. She's got a most fantastic story as well. Awesome. And I, I feel like hers is just getting started after she won the, uh, the eventing division of the third makeover this past year too. So she's got lots of exciting things going on in eventing as well.
2: Wow. Wow. As you have also won that, correct?
0: Uh yes, I actually won it in 2019 and she won the 2020 division which happened in 2021 because of the pandemic. That's awesome. So uh, so yeah, so in a, we were consecutive winners, which is pretty cool. And this year my sister and I are both going to the makeover and my mother Has applied. Oh, nice. Oh, so super exciting. Super exciting. That's really cool. Hey,
2: before we get into the current thing, I just have one last little thing about event where I know we have limited time, but the, the way you retired... I got to be honest again, I got, I, I, I got, I'm a big softy. I'm going to, I'm going to out myself right here a little bit. I get a little bit choked up when I see how you (laughs) might dropped in your interview. Uh, So can you just share that real quick to tell people what I'm talking about? And just as, as you're explaining this, everyone think, oh, Robbie's fighting back the tears. (laughs) I'm a big old softy.
0: Um, well, just for the record, I have a hard time watching that video because it was one of the most vulnerable moments of my life, but I have showed it to all of my nannies of my children, and they all cried. So um you're in there with the nannies. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a manny. (laughs) You're a manny. Um yeah, so uh just you know, talking earlier about my husband and I sort of flying by the seats of our pants. Um In 2014, I had won the Kentucky Oaks on Untappable and, um, and I, I actually got, was injured shortly after that and missed her next race and, uh, but was looking forward to riding her, uh, in the summer and the fall. And, um, it was during that summer that, you know, my husband and I had sort of had a tentative plan like oh when I'm 30 I'll retire and you know we'll have kids um and I, I guess I was just to the point where I was like let's just see what happens you know and like the, we had a conversation and this was before he even started out on his own training and we had a conversation we're like yeah let's just see what happens like you know uh, who it could take a year could take 5 years who knows it probably had that conversation like, and it you know it in fact took 30 days oh. but you know <clears throat> for me to get pregnant but uh so anyway we had the conversation and we were just like well let's just see what happens and you know i i of course had to like really think strongly about it and it was a tough decision because i was riding this you know super Philly and uh you know i decided well, there's always going to be another horse to be excited about. You know, two-year-olds come around every year, and you know, how long will it take me to win the Derby? I, I could happen next year. It could happen in 40 years, and it could happen never, right? So, um, you know, I was, I, I came to the conclusion I was sort of satisfied with, um, with knowing that it could happen. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of riders ride their whole lives wanting to win the Derby, so. Um, so I, you know, I made the decision. I said, there'll always be something, you know, a reason to, to not stop riding. And we just felt it was time. So, um, like I said, took 30 days there. I was pregnant and that was six weeks before the, I found out like a month before the breeders cup. So I was going to be like six weeks pregnant. And I was like, well, I guess that would be the time. (laughs) So, um, coming, (laughs) coming that weekend, I had, I mean, there were so few people that knew, um, and my mother authentically, genuinely did not know until that winter circle presentation, but I, I couldn't even tell my agent I had to lie to him <laughs> and, uh, it was such a big juicy secret. So I, I was contemplating on how to make the announcement and I sort of wanted to do it on TV so that people would like really hear it from me, you know, and, and there wouldn't be any rumors flying or this or that or whatever. Um, but then I was, uh, talking to my sister while I was out in Breeders' Cup and she obviously knew I was pregnant. And I I texted her like midday through the day. I think it was even after I rode Tapiture in the Breeders' Cup mile. And I said, so I've decided I'm just going to put out the news, you know, in the daily racing form on, on Sunday after, you know, after it's all said and done. Right. And, you know, then we go and win the, the distaff and it was just such a storybook ending. I was like, meh." I guess we're going to do this. And it was just a swell of emotion. Like for me, for me going into that race, it was like, you know, I really feel like I'm going to win this race, but would that be too good to be true? You know? So so I had like this, like, God, don't mess this up, you know? And then, you know, after winning, it was like, I can't believe this is the way I'm going to go out. Like it was just the most privileged way to end my career Um, and somewhat of a shocking way for, you know, most people (laughs) were quite shocked. Um, But I just felt like it was, you know, wasn't fair to my mother to find out just like everybody else. So, uh, so yeah, I pulled my mom onto the winner circle stage and uh, I still apologize to the interviewer who is Lafitte Pinkai Jr. Cause I'm like, man, I really could have given you a heads up, but I was sure that you know, I could take back that announcement until the words actually came out of my mouth. So, so that's why I didn't give a heads up. And, uh, but it was a really, uh, highly emotional moment, uh, vulnerable moments of my life. Everyone knew my big secret. And I was a little bit worried about scrutiny for riding the following day. <laughs> so, yeah. so, um, it was a definitely a ner- one of the most nerve-wracking moments of my career, but definitely a special one. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, you wow. had me
2: blubbering. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. That's like an all-time mic drop right there. Like bam,
0: bam. You know what? I want. I, I would love to name a racehorse "Mic Drop." There we go. So there you, well, there go. We go. There when you I, go. When I
2: get it, when I get a good filly. There we go. <laughs> Mic drop. Bam. All right, we got to keep this thing on 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 task, Karen. Quit getting me off yeah, the track. Good. All right. Honey? Okay.
1: Okay. I'll try. Karen gets all I'll off try. track
2: now. <laughs> on to the current. day We could talk about racing all day long. Back on to the current business and what you have going. You you have uh, your 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 off the track horses that you work with. Can you tell us a little bit about your business and and what you do over there?
0: Yeah. So, um, when I retired, I became my husband's assistant for a few years and I worked through both of my pregnancies and it burnt me right out of the racetrack very quickly. (laughs) So, um, but we bought the farm, uh, shortly after my first son was born and we have, um, you know, even way back then, like, you know, he was like, he loves to do kind of unorthodox things with the racehorses. And so he loves to like bring a racehorse out to the farm for a rest and train it out on the farm to freshen its, you know, its mindset. Um, and then of course, you know, it's just, you know, a regular thing that racehorses, you know, incur injuries and go through rehab and yada, yada, yada. And if they're not doing that, they're, you know, retiring and transitioning off the track. So, um, So I started out taking a few layups for Joe and, you know, then he had a horse that needed to be retired and I took that one and I took a couple of other ones. So I ended up, um, uh, I got back into eventing as soon as possible, um, after my first son was born and then was into competing as we had our farm and it sort of, you know, it kind of just snowballed into a business. Like I didn't say I'm going to have an off track thoroughbred business and retrain horses. I did not make that plan. (laughs) Um, but it was, you know, obviously something that I was passionate about. I had an off track thoroughbred that I actually won two races on back in 2008. Uh, and, um, I was competing him and I actually took him up to the training level, which is where I left off in my childhood. Um, and he was getting up there in age. So he was like 16 and I had these couple of young horses prospects from Joe's barn that had retired. And so I was like, well, there's no reason to take my horse up to prelim at 16 and he's got a laundry list of injuries. Um, so I'm just gonna, you know, I'll lease him out and I'll start these young horses and I'll find one that I want to develop. And then I'll go up the levels, you know, something that's younger. Um, so I did that. And I, um, the first horse actually, was a horse that Brad and Misty Grady, who owned Gervin, who my husband trained for the Derby. Um, one of their horses, they retired and gave to Joe. It was one of his favorite horses. And so I took him to the Thoroughbred Makeover in 2017. And I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, but, but we actually finished like 12th out of 95 horses. And it was a you know my very first horse from from scratch uh and um had a blast with it. Uh he had a he had a little bit of a limiting injury and in racing to where he wouldn't be an up like he was fine and sound, but he wouldn't be an upper level prospect. So um <clears throat> so I moved on to training these couple of younger horses the following year and did I I met uh, my soulmate of of coaches, Dorothy Kroll. And, um, she, uh, she helped coach me through, um, several years, um, and is still coaching me now, but she was very instrumental in, you know, my education through the first, you know, stages of, um, transitioning horses into eventing. Um, and I, you know, I really getting back into eventing after 15 years of being away, it was like riding in a dressage saddle was like literally, impossible for my body to do. Like it's the opposite position of where I've been stuck for 15 years. So, um, you know, we always are, I'm always giving my horses a little bit of a break when they are uncoordinated going to the right. And then I suddenly realized, well, they've been doing it for like maybe three or four years, but I've been going left for like 15 years. (laughs) I'm going to have to practice this a lot. Um, And, uh, thanks to Dorothy for sitting through some of probably the most tedious lessons of thumbs up and sit back and shoulders back, you know, to get me just into a reasonable position to even ride on the flat again. Um, it was a painful process and it still is. I actually had a virtual sitting trot lesson with Dorothy today and I feel like I've been hit by a truck. (laughs) Um, so I, (laughs) um, but You know, I, I really just, it, it, the business started out from a very small influence of this horse that I had had for years. And he was a racetrack pony and my mother initially started him and he really inspired me because he just, I told my mom when I got the horse, I actually claimed him to retire him and he was dead lame at the time. But I said, I was still riding races. So I said, take this horse retrain them, teach on them, compete them, whatever you want to do. I just want to come to school cross country, like once a month. (laughs) And that's exactly what I did. That was back in, you know, 2008, 2009. Um, but the horse, every time I would come back and ride the horse that my mother was training, I was like, my God, like this is happening so fast. Like we're already going out and jumping cross country. Like it was just a racehorse like yesterday, you know? And, and the horse loved it so much. So it was really that experience that inspired me and sort of, um, you know, exposed me to how trainable, how fun, uh, and how athletic and intelligent, uh, the horses were after racing and just how much they could do. So, um, so it just spiraled from, from that horse, who was the famous sugar if anyone follows my social media they'd know who he was um but it spiraled you know from there and you know then I got the next young crop and then I got the next young crop and I had picked out uh Cinemo, uh early on as a just turned three-year-old and I let him sit in a field for a year and started him as a four-year-old and that's the worst that I won the um the makeover for the eventing discipline in 2019. Um, But I, you know, he was sort of the horse that I chose for myself that I wanted to go up the levels for my own education. I want to be able to develop horses for professional eventers that are doing the upper levels. And so I feel like I need to know what it takes to get there. Um, and, And I am, I'm the type of person that really only wants to do something that I'm going to be very good at that I'm going to be very competitive at. So I will do that to whichever level that ends up being. If I can't figure out sitting the trot, (laughs) then I'll do it till prelim, you know, and I'll (laughs) tell the horse when it gets to prelim. But if I end up figuring the sitting trot thing out, um, then I'll take a horse to intermediate and I will go as far as I can be competitive. Um, I, you know, I've, I've lived all of the, the glorious dreams, uh, in my first career. So uh, there's, there's no need. I don't need to go ride Kentucky three-day event. but I would love to sell horses to people that do and advocate for thoroughbreds at the, you know, the highest level of this sport. Um, so, uh, I, I have been privileged and, uh, much thanks to Dorothy for many of the connections um that I've made in the eventing world, but I um, have been privileged to source some really nice horses to some very good riders so far, and just hope to continue broadening that network um, to be able to advocate for um, really quality training of thoroughbreds. Uh, it's become such a widespread and trendy thing. Um, <clears throat> it's not always done the way that um, I would go about it. Um, so I'm really you know, really want to advocate for uh, proper restarting and training for thoroughbreds and eventing and seeing them compete at the highest level.
2: Well, who better to do that? I
0: know, right? Right. So tell us,
2: you you do some work with new vocations as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: So, yeah. um, So the, I think it was the winter after I retired, um, there was a, it was a huge social media storm of thoroughbreds being exploited in, um, you know, livestock auctions, uh, specifically in Louisiana and Texas, um, and just some really brutal situations that were being, uh, exploited online. Um, and, you know, you have the whole controversial bailing situation where, you know, the, the kill pens are making all the money. So, um, it, it became very, uh, clear and, and really, uh, impossible to ignore the incredible demand for an aftercare outlet for horses in the South. So, um, I, I, uh, hooked up with my connections down in Louisiana, Morgan Bond and Lynn Faust, um, <clears throat> And, uh, you know, they were, uh, I guess I was boarding my event horses at Lynn's place and became friends with Morgan. And, you know, they had expressed to me that they'd always been interested in doing, you know, um, building an organization, uh, for the same purpose. So we were like, oh my gosh, if there is ever a dream team for making this happen, it's three of us, right. Uh, Lynn is connected to racing through her, um, her brother, who is the farm manager, of. Todd Quast is a farm manager for um, Goldmark Farm, who I rode my loop for in the Derby. So lots of connections here. And, uh, you know, I saw this team coming together and we're, you know, trying to figure out how to make something happen. But seeing as it was going to take such a ginormous effort to create something new, um, I reached out to Anna Ford with New Vocations um, to say, hey, we need help um there needs to be something happening down here as soon as possible and uh, it was really amazing the way it came together and how quickly it came together to um open up uh, a new vocations satellite facility in louisiana and so um <clears throat> i've kind of just been working behind the scenes to help with um exposure and and the growth of the program, whereas they're all doing all the real actual work. (laughs) And uh, Lynn, Lynn runs the facility, um, and Morgan does most of the training and, um, new vocations, Anna's program and with new vocations and, um, and dot Morgan, they have, I mean, they are the oldest and largest, uh, resource adoption program in the country and they do it very, very well. Uh, so it, it's, you know, it's, expanded. It's grown over the years that we've been open and, uh, doing fantastic. And we are actually, I'm heading down to the fairgrounds, uh, in a couple of weeks to do a new vocations day at the fairgrounds to help promote the facility and some funding and some exposure, um, to the training program and the adoption program that we have going. So, um, uh, just very passionate about you know, making sure thoroughbreds at all levels have, you know, have an outlet, um, whether they're rehab horses and have limiting careers. Um, and it's really, you know, it is really bridging the gap like crazy. <laughs> My husband, this is kind of a funny story. He is a, he, uh, grew up at Charlestown racetrack and he was, you know, influenced by a very much a survival, uh, perspective of he, you know, that I would call it, you know, the Kings of the one last race syndrome that, you know, that all the aftercare organizations are fighting against, you know, like, let's not have that one last race. Like let's retire the horse while it's sound. And so, um, my husband was so funny. He called me a couple of weeks ago and he goes, Hey, I was laughing at myself. I just dropped a claim slip on a really good looking three-year-old $5,000. And I thought to myself, well, if I can't make them faster, then at least I can get out on them as an off track horse. <laughs> He's like, I cannot believe I just, you know, had that conscious thought as I'm dropping a plane slip. But, you know, in reality, the, you know, the, the demand for thoroughbreds has become so much greater that you could, you know, you could buy a horse off the track for $5,000 at this point. I mean, their, their value is really increasing. Um, and so it's a, it's a great thing. Unfortunately we did not get that horse because I loved it, but, um, (laughs) we didn't win the shape, but, uh, you know, just a, just a, a great funny example of how the gap is being bridged between the racing world and the sport horse world. And so, you know, that's kind of where, you know, as someone with a, a name recognizable in racing and, you know, becoming more recognizable in eventing. um, I find that that is my place. That is where I can best serve is helping to bridge that gap, uh, being connected to both worlds and, you know, hoping to better myself in the eventing world and, you know, be able to ride up the levels and be more recognizable there and just really advocate for these sources that have, you know, made all my dreams come true. So it is, it's infectious. And, um, my program actually has evolved to the point where my barn is full of horses that are currently owned by their racing connections who are financially supporting them to do things like going to the makeover and competing. And I'm just, every time a racing owner sends me a horse and, you know, wants to pay the bill on it, I'm like taken back. And I'm like, I guess, you know, good for us let's all yeah like let's go on with it Let, let's then they're really you know genuinely uh so excited to go through the process i mean they and you know i have a uh, right now i have a horse called bandua who is a six-year-old graded stakes winning gelding who in many cases would have no business retiring he's sound he's six and he's fast but, you know, he came to a level where he wasn't competitive at that level anymore. And for the connections of, um, you know, Calumet Farm, there's, you know, the the purpose is, you know, he's not going to be a stallion. So, um, you know, move him on as opposed to running down the claiming ranks, which is just a fantastic um, opportunity for the horse and has become a fantastic opportunity for me. So I'm so, so grateful for the owners that have horses, um, in my program that are supporting their horses and enjoying the process and enjoying, you know, learning about it because there is, you know, it, they are two different, very, two different, two very different worlds. Um, things are done differently. And so, you know, I'm learning, you know, as I go and, uh, trying to better the program all the time, the owners are sort of learning the process and it's all very cool. That's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. That is, really, that is really cool. That's
2: me and Karen. We watched the horse races. I'm always looking for the flashy ones.
1: <laughs> no. Try to write their name
2: down and see if they ever come up for sale.
1: <laughs> so, Rosie, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to play Quick Fire Questions. Quick Fire Questions and
0: sounds fun <laughs>
1: and, and quick fire questions is brought to you by turtleneck get your premium horse clothing by going to turtleneck.biz all right so it's five questions and they're just kind of random you don't have to be super quick but we do grade you at the end
2: strict grading rosie strict.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> all right all right. On. all right so first question who was your favorite rider
0: growing up oh Uh, Julie Crone. She's the only jockey that I knew her name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There you go. go. All right. Uh, if you could try a different riding discipline, what would it be?
0: Um, well, funny you ask that. I'm not going to be very quick about this, but, uh, since the third makeover offers, uh, 10 disciplines and there are so many trainers who have found it very fun and exciting to branch out to new disciplines. Um, I would love to try barrel racing. Ooh. Oh yeah, we've had that before. That's cool. Yeah,
2: on a thoroughbred. Wow. All right. Yeah, I love it. Yeah.
1: Dang. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> or yeah, and we'll watch. We'll yeah. cheer on from the <laughs> All right. So, if riding was not an option
0: what other sport would you want to be a pro at? Oh, fun fact. When I was, um, 13, I lived a short stint in Vermont and, um, I got very into snowboarding and, uh, I took a couple of lessons and one of the instructors told me that I should try to get a sponsor and pursue a snowboarding
2: career. So I'm going to go with snowboarding. Wow. Natural athlete. You're just good at everything you do. Look
0: at you. You're one of them. No, I just, I just only do things I'm good at. (laughs) There is a big difference.
2: (laughs) That's funny. She picks up the baseball bat. Misses throws it down. Yeah, I'm not away. a basketball player. Yeah. You're not Duncan Rosie. Come yeah. on. All
1: right. So, if they made a movie about your life, what actress would you want to play
0: you? Oh, I don't. I don't have a good one for that. It would have to be someone who cusses a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I would want to play it myself. There we go. Hey, you could do it They <laughs> can. Because- well i mean yeah no i don't i don't want to get into that but anyway i feel like i would want to play it myself
2: <laughs> there you go
0: good answer good, yeah. i'm not like a big movie buff so i don't like have actresses on the tip of my tongue I, like it's a hard question because i'm just not I, I don't know what their names you Have to swim like a sailor <laughs> yeah it'd be pretty tough yeah oh, someone that's like a little rough around the edges <laughs> good a look like very like witty and um you know willing to willing to give someone a run for their money there we go okay <laughs> i like <it. laughs> all right so last question if you could ride
1: any horse past present or fiction who would it be
0: oh Okay, that's not even fair because I have two disciplines to <laughs> fantasize. About.
2: We don't make an exception for this, and normally it's one. But if you want to do one for each, you're welcome to, or, or however you want to handle it.
0: Okay, um, so the year after I retired. No, okay, so uh, when I was out in California at Santa Anita for a breeder's cup prep race in September of 2014, which was the year I retired <clears throat> a couple months before I retired. And American Pharaoh was in a two-year-old race. And, um, I looked at him and I thought to myself, I'm going to have to run against that horse in the breeder's cup. <laughs> and it was like the first race after his maiden win. It was just a stake. Um, and I don't even think it was a graded stake. And then, um, I wrote a lot for Bob throughout my career. And I think mostly coincidentally, most of the races I wrote for him were grade one races and we had so much success and I really enjoyed riding for Bob Baffert. So, um, after he won the triple crown, I text Bob uh, and just congratulating him. And he texts me back and said. Thanks, Rosie. You would have fit that horse to a T, and I was like, "Damn it, mom, mm-hmm. you <laughs> have to go there." <laughs> uh. So I'm going to say I'm a for eventing. Uh, in, uh, sorry, for racing. In eventing, I would have to say because I know the most. Uh, well, I've heard the most stories about this horse, and he has the same name as my horse, and. He seems like he was a total badass, but he was before my time. I'm going to have to say Molokai, who was Dorothy Crowell's uh, Olympic horse, oh. her best horse, who was an off-track thoroughbred that she started as a four-year-old. And she. his nickname was Mo, And my horse, Sanamo, nickname is also Mo, And they are little plain bay thoroughbreds. And we talk about that all the time. So I'm going to have to go with American Pharaoh and Molokai
1: there we go there we go excellent excellent we gotta get Dorothy on one day yeah we do I'm friends with her on Facebook fun fact fun fact I have a um a a mouse pad with Dorothy and Molokai on it Uh, oh very cool you actually bought bought it for me I bought it for you you're welcome (laughs) well what do you think a plus plus of course
0: very good, very good. Well very done,
2: good. top placings. <laughs> I
0: was
2: not very fast. <laughs> nah. That's your 1,878th career win. There, you, there go. you go. There
1: you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go.
2: <laughs> this one, not on a horse. You might even be on a horse. Who knows?
1: Oh. Well done. Oh, so, Rosie, do you have any advice for that young person wanting to become either an exercise rider or a jockey? <laughs> um, well...
0: I guess I would say, uh, it's a very hard lifestyle. So it is one that you want to do only if you can't imagine doing anything else. Um, that was me when I was younger, there was nothing else that I wanted to do. And there was nobody that was going to convince me otherwise, um, And I was willing to die for it. And it's a very dangerous and thrilling sport that has lots of opportunities and, um, do it if it is the only thing you can imagine doing and get ready to work your tail off just like probably any other horse discipline. (laughs) It's a fast pace and it, you know, you can get into it very young Um, so it's important to have those really good influences behind you. When you start to point you in the right direction, keep you on track and, um, have that, you know, that support, uh, for whatever, you know, whatever it is you want to do on the racetrack, uh, whether it's galloping or riding races, um, be, be a confident rider, which means start at the very beginning and don't skip any steps.
2: So, so when you. You were young seventeen, and and you had this relatively i mean I would say short career, but you were at the top of the sport you were had your last three years you were in the top ten uh all three of your last years was that like unprecedented like to to have that much success so early?
0: um well, I won my first race, which was totally blind luck and you know being put on the best horse um but the the success definitely came to me um very quickly I and I guess I was asked that question a lot in the beginning of my career when I was having that success and um my answer is kind of it I didn't expect it but it didn't surprise me because I wanted it so bad I mean it's all I ever wanted to do and I just wanted to win every single race and I wanted to get better and I wanted to be as good as everybody else. And so, you know, I worked very hard to have that success, to have the right professional, um, outlook to have the right professional image, um, to get, and one of the, one of the biggest, uh, goals of my career was to have the respect from all of my male counterparts, whether they were the trainers I was riding for or the jockeys that I was riding against. Um, and I can, I can tell you like, one of my career highlights was, uh, after I retired, I presented an award at the eclipse awards. And when I walked on stage to present the award, uh, somebody, Chris McCarron actually stood up and the whole room stood up and gave me a standing ovation. And it was, you know, it was just having that respect from the industry was one of my career highlights. It was what I always worked towards. So, um, I, I did have, uh, a lot of success in a relatively short period of time and including several, uh, setbacks from injuries. Um, but I think, you know, what led to that was just a positive attitude of, I want to be better all the time. I want to work hard. You know, I enjoyed what I was doing. I never got to a point in my career, um, where I stopped, you know, beating the pavement in the morning, walking around the backside, you know, hoping to breeze horses for somebody. And, uh, you know, just be out talking to the trainers and, you know, creating conversations and checking on horses that I, you know, had ridden in races and really liked. So um, I think it was, you know, work ethic and drive and uh, just, you know, wanting it. And so I think when I got to the point where that started to <laughs> started to become harder, you know, I was tired. I was inju- had a lot of injuries and you know, dealt with a lot of physical pain is when I got to the point where it wasn't quite as much fun anymore. And so I just, mic dropped and I was out. <laughs>
2: Man, <and laughs> yeah. Legit. legit. I just can't get the image. Okay. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, I just was, you know, at the same time that I, you know, was ready to do something new. I was just so grateful for all of the opportunities. You know, I feel like I just had the absolute best of racing and racing had the absolute best to me.
2: No doubt. I keep getting, uh, I can't get the image of Rosie and American Pharaoh out of my head.
0: <laughs> I,
2: I'm like heartbroken that didn't happen. I can't imagine the way you feel. <laughs> Thinking what could have been. Oh, uh, well. Hey, uh, we don't want to hold you up too long. Let's wind this thing down, Karen, because yeah. Rosie's a very busy person. Yes, she is. Uh, so be f- uh, we always like to highlight any sponsors, supporters that you would like to you know, recognize that are behind your program.
0: Well, the supporters are endless. Um, I have uh, the most magnificent team of um, people that work with me daily. Um, and of course, you know, any of the professionals in this business, even at the the low level that I'm at, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to operate in such an expensive uh, endeavor. And so, you know, we are always eternally grateful for our sponsors that help us, um, help us out with, uh, services and products. And, uh, one of my very first sponsors was MagnaWave and, um, it is, uh, MagnaWave. I, I always say that if I had MagnaWave before I retired, I probably would have ridden longer. So, um, I, you know, would recommend MagnaWave to any horse or human, And I use it daily in my program for the horses and myself. I have one sitting by my bedside (laughs) and in the barn and, um, you know, it is absolutely crucial in the transition of the thoroughbreds because they have so much body soreness and, you know, they learn a whole, you know, they have to work against all of their muscle memory to learn how to move differently, Um, so there's, you know, it's a, it's such a physical transformation for them and the MagnaWave, um, you know, helps so much, uh, with, you know, areas of inflammation and as well as with my rehab program, um, you know, horses coming off of injuries. So, and myself, old injuries, um, and, you know, uh, just sorenesses and working physically hard, um nun finer is one of our sponsors. And, uh, this is kind of a funny story. John Nunn, uh, used to announce for the sheep. He literally announced as the announcer in the pony races that I rode when I was a kid wow. and owned none finer products. And so, uh, I was so thrilled when, uh, John wanted to jump on board and back the program. And of course, um, you know, he, he, they have the most wonderful products for tack and care and uh, stable products. So uh, that is, I mean, when I tell you that we couldn't do without our sponsors, it is a real, real thing. Uh, Tribute equine is um, where we get our nutritional uh, needs. And I have been feeding the Tribute Calm Ultra mostly, uh, for most of the horses on the farm, actually, uh, since Joe used it at the track, um, in New Orleans. And, uh, it was just a little hard to get down there, but, um, I have used that since day one of being at the farm and, uh, found it a very, very valuable part of our nutrition program. Um, and they have, you know, supported us from the beginning. So, uh, you know, it's all about the way your horses look and act and feel. And, uh, we've had such great success with that. Um, uh, Voltaire uh, design is one of our sponsors. And, um, I have to say when I was a kid, I was a trainer's kid. So we didn't have like expensive tack and I had no idea what quality tack was actually (laughs) like until (laughs) I got, um, my first Devaku saddle, which was like way too big for me. So when I finally realized that riding tack that fit me would benefit my riding, um, then I started trying out, uh, different saddles and Dorothy actually recommended Voltaire and, um, I had someone inquire about a sponsorship. So, uh, I was trying multiple saddles at one time and I had decided for some, some reason that I was going to go with the Devaku and, um, when I rode in both and had both saddles at the same time, I was like, I can't do it. I have to do the Voltaire, and I don't think I ever want to sit in a different saddle. And when I finally got my Voltaire dressage saddle, it changed my perspective. On I became a jockey because of dressage, and that's where my my limiting beliefs started to shift. When I got my Voltaire dressage saddle and um, had it custom fitted for my horse and I, so that was a you know a great support from from uh, Voltaire Design. Um, and hoping to present some new sponsors in 2022 as well. Um, some other, uh, some other companies wanting to jump on board. So really excited about that. Um, of course, always, I know that I've shouted out to her multiple times in this interview, but Dorothy Crowell, my soulmate coach who moved away from Kentucky, but now that we have virtual, um, virtual capabilities, I'm going to suffer more and more and more with my lessons. Uh, But she is, uh, she has definitely been most instrumental in my success getting back into eventing. And, um, you know, she is willing to suffer through all those tedious lessons that she had to go through years and years ago. And she, you know, is constantly pumping me up and bursting my bubble and pumping me up and bursting my bubble. <laughs> which is a great way to keep someone really wanting to get better. So, um, you know, just very appreciative of Dorothy and her influences. Um and there is a long 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 list of of others who have been behind the program. Uh probably most notably worth mentioning would be my husband um who has uh really just been one of my big biggest supporters. Uh before and after racing and, um, has really come to, uh, really support aftercare in such a big aspect. Um, we actually have fast boat who last race was the breeder's cup who retired sound and is going to hopefully point toward the makeover possibly to barrel race. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, um, and of course all of our, Um, our racing owners that support both of our businesses, um, are just, uh, we have some really fabulous people that, uh, love their horses, love the game and are starting to really love the transition into the second careers. So, uh, we, we just want to thank all of those people who helped the, our, both of our businesses go round.
2: Wonderful. Fantastic great list yes well you know i think we'll just have to have like a part two someday down the road when you want to introduce those other 2022 (laughs) we're always here rosie we're gonna talk to you for another two hours but alas i know we can't no
1: we can't so
2: last question how do people follow along um you you, what's your 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 business is rosie Napavrik uh off track sport horses is that correct
0: that is correct. So, um, I am showing my age by saying that I mostly am on Facebook, which I have found out that is, makes me old. <laughs> um, I should be branching out to Instagram and TikTok and all those other places, but, uh, I'm a Facebooker. So I have a, um, I have a Rosalie Pravnik Off-Track Sport Horses Facebook page, um, where, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy to contact me there. And we also, you know, have horses for sale that we list there, uh, and you know, take lots of videos and show lots of training videos and fun things. And um, I think we would be really hilarious if we ever took behind-the-scenes stuff and put it on TikTok. But uh, the struggle is real, so we're just trying to train. <laughs> um, but um, I do have an Instagram handle, which I'll randomly post on. Uh, and then my website is actually rosieofftrack.com, uh, where you can um, kind of see what we do and uh, contact us there and view horses that are for sale, uh, kind of learn about the program. So uh, maybe one day I will come with the times and end up TikToking or something, or I don't even have the app. <laughs> yeah. We don't TikTok oh, either. <laughs> Girl, We're older than bro. you. We're
2: way older than you. <laughs> You're like a kid compared. Yeah, to but I was
0: raised. I I'm on like the cusp of a millennial, but I was raised by hippies, so that sets me <laughs> back like. Years. Oh,
1: yeah. I love a good hippie. That's
2: fantastic. Aww. Hey, by the way, are you look, do you have do you take working students or anybody like that in or or are you pretty much all fully like you you just kind of stick to
0: Um I have uh I have two uh paid working students right now. Um I'm really not good enough to like have free working students, so I have to pay them and teach <laughs> them. But um they are wonderful. Um I have Kelsey Buckberry and Emily Swirski right now who are doing a great job. Um, Kelsey's entered her first horse in the makeover and Emily is, um, riding sugar, my horse who I claimed years ago and is now 21. Um, but I, um, I really have found that I enjoy teaching people along with horses. So, uh, you know, I'm always, uh, I'm always open to taking on people, um, you know, to help them learn and grow. And basically like, what I like to do with the people in my well, probably people on horses is like I really like to implement the fun aspect. And so, like when I, you know, of course, when they come for their interviews and stuff, I like take them cross-country schooling. We do really cool fun stuff, and I like hook, line, and sinker, and then drag them into all the hard work. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we'll go fox hunting, we'll go galloping the race horses and sets, and like I just really love to show people a good time. While doing what we do. So um, I am, you know, always open to um, taking on working students uh, and interns that are, you know, ready to take that on and, uh, you know, show them broaden the horizons of just how fast you can go and how fun it can be. That's awesome. Karen,
2: I think Rosie's my new best friend.
0: I think so. Yeah. <laughs> awesome.
1: Well, we,
2: we, we, we went way over time yes, on this interview. So Rosie, oh. we're not going to hold you up any longer. No. Um, please, I hope someday you'll join us again. So just, Karen, this was fantastic. This was
1: awesome. Yeah. So
2: Rosie, thank you so much for for joining us. And everyone get out there and check out Rosie and and see the, the, the horses that she has for sale and get out there and also support the new vocations.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you guys having me on, and love love to love to be on your Facebook group. You all old people with your Facebook group. <laughs> we're, we're all in it together. Uh, but yeah, no, I've really seen some good conversations on there. So, um, thank you for having me on, and maybe we'll do part two one day.
1: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Please like Major League Venning on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and join our community, Major League Banners, on Facebook. Cheers!